The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you living a wellness lifestyle? What could it do for you? Join us today on the Wellness Lounge a step further and see how our guests and direction can inspire you to self-empowerment through a wellness lifestyle. Now, here is the host of the Wellness Lounge a step further, Desiree Watson. Thanks for joining us once again. And I am, of course, so excited about uh, our guests uh, that will uh, uh, enlighten us once again. And I just want to uh, say thank you to all you listeners globally uh, Japan, Germany, France, Canada, Denmark. Thank you so much for uh, tuning into the show because I think uh, what we try to do at A Step Further, which is the Wellness Lounge A Step Further, it is a signature brand of Wellness Interactive. We're located at 14 South Orange Avenue, and uh, we like to focus on all things well, and that is, of course, connecting the mind, the body, the spirit. And that uh, may come from so many people that uh, we may never hear from because uh, uh, the guests may live right next door to you, and they're doing amazing things around the world, and they're doing amazing things right here within our communities. And so I'm thankful again for you all tuning in to listen to uh, someone who will enlighten us uh, during our show. Uh, Wellness Interactive, uh, as I said, is located at 14 South Orange, South Orange Avenue, and uh, we believe that uh, all things well uh, will help us to navigate our life experience. And on that note, I would like to read uh, again, uh, because uh, I have read from my pastor's book. It's called uh, Live Ten. I've read in the, in the past a couple of uh, uh, pages or chapters or paragraphs. Uh, today I think it's really important. My pastor uh, has uh, this amazing book that uh, has just uh, once again been published, uh, and it's Live 10, Jumpstart, the Best Version of Your Life. And it's Pastor Terry A. Smith. I want to read a couple of uh, paragraphs. We're talking about today, uh, really the focus is uh, the now and living, you know, in the present and maybe perhaps beyond. So here's a, a few uh, chapters that my pastor has written. The future is in you now. Most of us have some awareness of the future that is in us. We have moments when we catch our breath in wonder as we briefly glimpse possibilities vastly preferred over our past and present. We intuit something great and grand and from God percolating just beneath the surface of our lives. We can become fully awake to this future. We can bring this future from 
the nebulous realm of the subconscious into the world of the conscious. We can move the mystery toward the intentional. Once we do, we can partner with God to create the tomorrow he has dreamed for us, the future we were made for. We can create our God-inspired futures. God-inspired futures are futures that are better, best preferred, but God does not force these futures on us. He allows us to choose whether to actualize them. We can cooperate with him in the continuing act of creating the life and the world he envisioned. And we can experience more and more what he made in the beginning before terrible human choices messed everything up. I want this preferred future God planned for each of us and for those we love. I'm not only referring to future generations, opportunities that only, uh, uh, only, excuse me, only our children or even their children will be able to experience. I am talking about imminent futures, uh, eventualities that we can all witness sooner rather than later. I want to help you birth the futures, yours and others, that are gestating in, in you but are yet unborn. Countless lives are waiting to be changed. There are always new futures waiting to live. Dr. Do- Thomas P. Barnett, former advisor to the Office of the Secretary of Defense of the United States, was tasked with the burdensome responsibility of studying the future of the world. He wrote about the need to imagine a future worth creating and to actually try to build it. He said, I choose to see it as a moral responsibility, a duty to leave our children in a better world. If someone has the ability to imagine a better future and holds the power to create it, he or she is morally responsible to do just that. We all have facing us incredible potentialities that can cause an entire new reality to exist. And on that note, I'm very excited about our guest this morning. He can enlighten us in so many ways about uh, what those, the, the future may look like uh, for, in, for all of us or uh, definitely for himself. So I'm just excited about getting to know how he navigated his whole experience of uh, giving back globally. And uh, today we have Dr. Peter Rossing, who is the managing partner of Costello Partners, LLC, and Aquila Associates, which is also LLC, asset management firm focused on hedge funds and private equity for institutional clients. Previously, he headed the institutional group at the investment boutique working on hedge fund due diligence and incubation incubation and investment banking. He began his career at Morgan Stanley in New York. Dr. Rossing is on various corporate and philanthropic boards. The latter include being a director and past president of the United Nations Association of New York and trustee of the London-based Lumba Foundation and the New York Center for Therapeutic Writing. Dr. Rossing has been an adjunct professor at Rams Business School in Champaign, France, since 1996. Also, since 1991, he has taught at New York University at the Stern School of Business and the Gallatin School of Individualized Study and in the College of Arts and Science. We're so excited about having you here today. 
Thanks for joining us, Dr. Ross Singh. Hey, Desiree. Nice to be here. And uh, hello to all the listeners in the United States and around the world. Um, it's really a thrill to be on this program with Desiree. And um, you mentioned the, in the passage from your pastor about future cells and life force. I mean, you're certainly one of the great life forces I know. Um, oh, oh, thank you. You know, uh, Peter, I, I really mean this. this is it's Energy. great hearing All that come from you. I just, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I'm flattered actually. But um, I am, of course, also excited about so many of the things that you do uh, that can help us all understand how uh, you navigated your life experience to, to get to the point where you're giving back globally and uh, in so many ways. So, uh, of course, you were born and raised in India, correct? Um, kind of correct. Oh, well, kind of. We'll, we'll just say we know you're a global citizen, which I love. <laughs> we love the idea <laughs> of global citizens. Uh, can you uh, help uh, our listeners right. to understand... Uh, uh, from and, and feel free, to, if you like, just to talk about your childhood experiences. Can you tell us more about who you are because you're doing such great work? Uh, were you born in India? I'm not sure, but give us a little yeah. background on how you got to this point. Sure thing. Yeah, so actually, very randomly, uh, I was actually born in the Fiji Islands in the South Pacific. Wow. Not a place. Uh, when I'm when I'm traveling and you know flash a Fiji passport, sometimes the immigration officials say, "Hey, you know, look at this," because they've never <laughs> seen one before. But yes, I'm ethnically Indian and spent you know part of my growing up there. But my father was um, associated with global activities and a diplomat, and both my parents were were very international, so traveled all around the world growing up. So I've lived in multiple countries, mm-hmm. and in fact, still do. So, uh, ah, wow. That, uh, 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 for those of us who may be listening in the United States, it, it also uh, uh, could <laughs> at times reflect uh, that of a military uh, child moving around, you know, in the United States. But uh, yours, of course, is a dipl- diplomatic uh, platform, I think, because you said both your parents uh, – uh, were they both diplomats, and were your grandparents diplomats? How do you get uh, to this no, point? No, where... um, you know, my family has had a long tradition of having some foot in public service and, you know, the idea of uh, being involved in, in global issues. Um, no, it was my, my dad, but my, my mom and, you know, on my mom's side of the family, there, there was also a lot of travel associated with her growing up where they moved around um, and uh, so, yeah, so basically I think that experience firstly opens one up to new experiences because from very young you're constantly, um, you know, the, the world is constantly in flux and things are changing. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I was um, in my late teens, I actually wanted to go to boarding school and could have gone anywhere and just wow. re- chose uh, a country I'd never been in in my life and a school I'd never seen. <laughs> What uh, made you? What, what inspired I, you? Prior to coming to the U.S., I actually lived in New Zealand, which is ah. a really gorgeous country on the other side of the world, and that was a very formative experience as well. Um, but uh, from there, came to New York, and the trajectory of coming to New York was based on the fact that my parents happened to be posted here, 
at the United Nations, and I was like, hey, this is a great chance mm-hmm. to, to move to the U.S. and particularly live in New York, which is perhaps one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world. Amazing, amazing, yeah. I always love New York because uh, it's it's like another country, you know, over 300 different cultures, 80 different, like over 80 different languages. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. But I'm curious to know, uh, Peter, uh, what inspired you? I, I understand uh, your parents uh, being really involved uh, globally, but when did you get uh, to that point where uh, you were thinking, well, this is also good for me? When did you get to that point? As an adult, or were you thinking uh, about this when you were young? Or, you know, I, I always love uh, how our parents really encourage uh, they're, they're, if you have encouraging parents, and obviously parents who are constantly educating uh, you as a child, uh, you can become inspired very quickly to do so many other things in life. Were you in this place as a child, or were you just uh, inspired about the travels? Or, And I don't mean that lightly. Yeah, no, I think it's a very good question, and I think that you know, I had a – Pretty unconventional, unconventional, excuse me, upbringing in that my parents, rather than trying to sort of keep me at home, were always about, you know, hey, you know, go out and explore the world. You know, we're here wow. for you if you need to, if you need support or, you know, when you want to come back. But there was always this idea of, of travel. So um, <laughs> it's a funny story, but. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. I think it really would too. Um, <laughs> I remember the first plane ride as a little kid when I traveled by myself to meet my parents somewhere. And I still have a, even now as an adult, have a sort of um, a little flutter in my heart when I see a flight attendant because when I was young, I would have flight attendants who in those days you know, were all very um, well-dressed with hats and gloves and right. taking care of me, um, you know, giving me games and you know, being very sweet on planes. So... Um, so Basically, the idea of you know going out into the world and the notion of the world being you know where you want to exist rather than you know in a small place um, was always you know something you know it sort of built into my makeup. At the same time, it's interesting because you mentioned being global. I've also come to the realization that one can make big differences by being local, like. Mm-hmm. But he, Absolutely. as you said, right on your doorstep, just mm-hmm. all acts of kindness and you know very small things have big effects. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful that I've been blessed with the opportunity to come in contact with all kinds of people, particularly young people, through teaching at NYU and at the French Business School, um, <clears throat> and through advising and mentoring relationships. Mm-hmm. You can actually you know make a difference in their lives. So to give mm-hmm. you a little anecdote, this past Sunday I was meeting with a kid from NYU who's about to graduate, and he's very confused, mm-hmm. and he's also very talented and intelligent and you know, has a lot of potential, but is kind of you know, feeling somewhat crushed and mm-hmm. hemmed in by the fact that the economy's not so great and he doesn't know what to do, and is sort of giving up on the idea of happiness. So he's mm-hmm. potentially going to take a pretty mind-numbing soul-crushing job, and he says, oh, I'll just do that for a few years, and then, you know, maybe I'll be able to lead the kind of life I want where I can be the future self that I want to be. 
Mm. And it was a you know very interesting conversation, just trying to tell him that you know that's a slippery slope. You know, you've got to mm-hmm. be aggressive about the idea of your own self-realization and self-expression and happiness from now. You know, from wow. right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. And once you embrace the mindset of you know I want to you know, embrace my potential and who I am and try to do things that resonate with who, you know, the deepest core of my being, then Mm -hmm. in some sense, I mean, this sounds very idealistic, but the world begins to contour itself around, you know, those values. Whereas if you say, oh, I'm going to go and do this sort of back office job and... And um, And then come back. (laughs) Yeah, and then one day I'll come back and Mm -hmm. find happiness. No. um, It becomes, you know, harder and harder as you get sucked in. Mm-hmm. So why am I saying this? A, you know, just by having conversations with people in close proximity to you, uh, by sharing experiences, um, you can have a very transformative effect on people's lives. And certainly, you know, the people who were little beacons of advice and encouragement and support all throughout my life, random people, you know, right. all in various places, um, I'm consistently and, you know, constantly grateful that they did this and they took an interest for me, in me, and I feel that, you know, we all should likewise be interested in everyone else around us, just like you are, you know, Desiree, mm-hmm. doing so many mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, so beautiful what you just spoke about because uh, I do think it's extremely important uh, to understand but to acknowledge uh, how many people uh, have the effect on your life moving forward, but it, in, it, sometimes we take that lightly. Uh, we want to fast forward, <laughs> live in the future. But uh, you just mentioned, what about now? You know, let's let's think about now. So if you're uh, inspired by uh, uh, educators or professionals, or it, just think and uh and engage with that particular platform to help you navigate uh, the experience because i i'm always just uh, stunned on uh, about how many people uh want to uh go out fast forward and then they they want to return but it's it's like <laughs> how do you return if it, it is about the present right how do you yes, actually sure. return and um yeah it very much ties into the reading you you did from your pastor earlier because the now is the eternal moment, and that's where we should all try to live and, and um, you know, invest ourselves. And if we can make every now enriched and better for our having been there as a kind of legacy for, you know, who's going to come afterwards, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. a conversation or, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. anything we do, ultimately that has a huge incremental benefit for, for humanity, for the world, for ourselves. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, of course, um, I, I think I shared with you, uh, and, and I, I should tell our listeners, uh, Peter and I, uh, Peter actually, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, he was a past president of the United Nations Association of New York and uh, uh, presently, of course, served on the executive board. And I am on the uh, advisory council, but I am uh, always just, Oh, I'm amazed and enlightened about the work that you all do at the United Nations Association of New York. And uh, we, we just had the big uh, event on Wednesday, uh, which uh, you all do every year. And uh, I, I love uh, the idea that 
we could actually, or you all could actually, uh, focus on local uh, New York City initiatives, but you actually embrace uh, communities from around the world. And I would love to speak more about that uh, in our second half uh, because we're going to break for a commercial. Um, and uh, we'll be back with uh, Dr. Peter Rothstein, and uh, very excited to have him on board uh, to enlighten our minds about global initiatives and uh, his uh, life experience and how he has navigated uh, uh, freely and I would say eloquently too. So we shall return in a few moments. Uh, stay with us. Thank you. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Peter Rushing, and Peter has been enlightening us uh, on uh, his navigating uh, pretty much a, a amazing global platform, uh, which uh, I think is so important now for us uh, as adults and as young people to understand what this all means. And so we were... Uh, speaking about the United Nations Association of New York. Peter, I'm so uh, just uh, always enlightened and thrilled about what the United Nations Association of New York does because uh, you can uh, remain focused on just the community, uh, the New York City community or the metro community, but I think you all do uh, so much work that affects us all throughout the world. Can you elaborate more on that? Uh, what brought you to that platform and uh, some of the great work that you all are doing? Yeah, so just by way of background for our listeners, the UNA was founded actually before the United Nations 
um, as you probably know, the mm-hmm. United Nations came into being in 1945 with its initial primary objective being to prevent the world going through this horrible scourge of war, um, namely the Second World War, when 72 million people, um, or over 72 million people, um, died. Mm-hmm. So, firstly, the UN was an, a multilateral organization for conflict resolution, and then it um, expanded beyond that to development activities, and um, it has its... its um, Footprint in all kinds of things. For instance, mm-hmm. air traffic control. You know, if there weren't um, a UN, we wouldn't have you know the ability to navigate the skies the way we do, or, or mm-hmm. post a letter to um, Rwanda and it, it gets there. Miraculous. Wow. But um, so Eleanor Roosevelt was one of the founding um, figures behind the, the United Nations Association, and it continues um, to with the mission of educating the public about the, the work of the UN and, and global issues. So since we're UNA New York, our immediate constituency is New York, but we also um, you know, see our role as bringing about global development initiatives as well. So we've built a school in Namibia, and we've helped uh, dig wells in Afghanistan, um, and we, we want to just engage people with, the global issues that are on the, the UN agenda. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And then through this, actually became involved, as you mentioned, with uh, a very interesting organization called the Lumba Foundation. And you're indirectly responsible for that because when I was president, you were the chair of our big gala, which we did for UN Day about a decade ago at the United Nations with uh, then-Secretary General Kofi Annan. So... Since we were having the gala, um, more or less this time of year, about a decade ago, a um, man just appeared in my office said, you're the, I heard you're the president of the United Nations Association of New York. <laughs> we're having a gala, and I have this NGO that focuses attention on widows. And mm-hmm. uh, didn't know him from Adam. You know, he's out of the blue, you know, this um, Indian gentleman from London who's actually in the House of Lords, it turns out. His name is Lord Lumba. So he said he was in town with Cherie Blair, the then wife of the um, British Prime Minister, Tony Blair, and they wanted to raise awareness about the cause of widows. So being Indian, I know, you know, widows are an issue in India, and there's, you know, some social stigma that needs to be um, fought against. You know, when women become widows, sometimes they're um, cast out of their their families or, you know, right. made to do silly things. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that basically marginalized them vis-a-vis the rest of the society. So I was, I was, you know, intrigued by the cause, but even more so touched by his personal narrative, which was that he grew up as the son of a widow. His mother became a widow when she was 36. Mm. And um, he firsthand lived how, you know, difficult it is for a woman, a single woman without a husband, to bring up a family. Luckily, they had money. Um, so all the kids were educated and did well. Then when his mother passed away, he was determined in her memory to set up a global charity to draw attention to the widow's cause. So in time, you know, I came to find out that there are 245 million widows in the world, and they're not necessarily wow. women who are you know, 90 or 80 years old. Some of them oh are my very goodness. young. And it's an under-recognized category in all the... Mm. 
there are different groups one mm-hmm. talks about, you know, uh, in terms of human rights, etc. So the Lumba Foundation, um, its core mission is to help widows, educate their children, and also um, do advocacy and, and reform laws to protect widows from certain mm-hmm. uh, rather egregious social practices. Uh, and, a couple and, of years ago, uh, we also got the UN to recognize uh, International the, Widows Day, mm-hmm. um, and the Republic of Rwanda, uh, excuse me, the Republic of Gabon, um, with the mm-hmm. First Lady of Gabon championing, championing the cause, were the sponsors of the resolution. So we, we are very excited that June 23rd is now International Widows Day, celebrated all over the world, where people pay attention to the, the plight of wow. women. Wow, amazing! Absolutely uh, amazing. So, so, um, uh, can you can you tell us uh, or explain to us one program in specific that helps to support the foundation? Yeah, I mean we we raise money obviously, and then Lord Lumber himself finances a lot of the um, the administrative costs. But we've done everything from um, where well, we educate children of widows. Okay. Uh, we also empower engage in economic empowerment of widows, so help them start businesses. There's much. Oh wow. So, you know, there are programs where widows have had sewing machines so that they can you know, build little cottage industries. Um, there was a program, I believe, in Rwanda where widows were growing um, certain crops mm-hmm. or with the help of the foundation or the foundation partnership with other groups like like um, Richard Branson's Virgin Unite or the Prince of Wales's Trust in the U.K., mm-hmm. um, all of which are trying to move um, widows as a group forward. So we, we also have programs running currently in conjunction with UN Women, which is this agency uh, recently set up to focus on women's empowerment. So with UN Women, we have programs in Malawi and Guatemala and, and in India also. So uh, cool. yeah, so it's it's uh, you know it's, yeah it's it's uh, I, but you know if you can make the difference a, a difference can. in the lives of a few, that the, the ripple mm-hmm. effects are pretty significant. Yeah, I, it's uh, uh, definitely amazing and significant for sure. So, Peter, let me ask you about. Um, uh, well, well, let's look at uh, the Lumba Trust. Are you? Do you all do anything to support uh, uh, the some of the widowers in the United States? And I only say this because uh, obviously you you know my passion, and uh, I know that the United States, uh, uh, as an American, it's an amazing country the richest country in the world, but there are still major issues here right in the United States. And sometimes I, I'm just um, taken back um, on the fact that we, uh, although very wealthy country, we have people that are struggling, including widowers or people who don't have access to um, uh, some of the uh, uh, amazing uh, Oh, gosh, um, I, I would say uh, richness of our country and society. Do you, or any of the platforms that you represent, are you also engaging any of the Americans here or U.S. citizens? Uh, not through the widow initiative. Though when we've had events, we've you know, brought in other particular NGOs that focus on widows. So, for instance, there's a wonderful young, young lady from Texas who founded a support group for you know, women like herself, uh, herself in the tw- in their twenties, um, who lost their husbands in the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Wow, beautiful. 
So, yeah, so you know, we're aware of these other groups, but our focus with the Luma Foundation has primarily been in developing countries. But, no, I'm, uh, I think one of the more local initiatives that um, is dear to me is the New York Center for, for Therapeutic Writing. So I've mm-hmm. written courses since I was young, and it turns out that putting disabled people on horseback empowers mm-hmm. them. It's a form of very, very significant physical therapy because there's no machine in a gym mm-hmm. that reproduces the sensation of walking uh, the way being on a horse does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone with, let's say, osteoporosis, uh, excuse me, someone with uh, multiple MS or- osteoporosis, MS, develops uh, trunk control and, you know, can they, they can sit up better. Um, autistic children. Wow. Uh, therapeutic writing lesson show marked improvements, and this has been something going on for centuries. So there are therapeutic writing programs all over the U.S., and this happens to be the only one in Manhattan serving the, the metropolitan area. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. So I think I want to volunteer there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite animal is definitely horse, but I, I love uh, the idea that uh, we have that support so close. And, and as you said, it's all over the, the country maybe. We have... Uh, these uh, institutions? Yep, and they're the, the trained therapeutic writing instructors, and it's all you know, very well organized. Uh, you know, it's a formal, proper writing lesson, and then there's sidewalkers and you know, other kinds of volunteers who ensure mm-hmm. the safety of the, the writers. So, excellent, excellent. So, uh, Peter, I'd love to uh, uh, speak about, uh, of course, uh, in my experience, I just came back from India, and it's, oh, I, it was just an incredible, incredible trip. And um, I, I can't say enough about it, but I, I uh, attended the Global Spa and Wellness Summit, and uh, they travel throughout the world uh, in different countries, but they bring together over 350 delegates from around the world uh, and I was I traveled as a delegate with the Global Spa and Wellness Summit because we are trying to make a difference uh, in the world uh, when it comes to wellness tourism and, you know, how people engage with being well. Um, I was so enlightened uh, with India because, uh, you know, we don't always hear, I think, about how India really does operate in the present or the people are in the present. And we know that, uh, obviously, uh, it's the largest democracy in the world and so many people. And we know that, uh, obviously, there's poverty, all of that. But my experience was that uh, you could actually go from a five-star hotel and then you're, of course, out uh, in, in the real world of India and how people are engaging, and I must say, I watched uh, very carefully how uh, people are operating in the present. So my question right now, can you, in, would you enlighten us as to uh, uh, being, uh, you know, Indian, actually, how we can get involved with, uh, or many people around the world, and people from India can get involved with uh, uh, the platform of giving back globally. How do you see that? Because we obviously know, too, that there's a classist system in India. Uh, do uh, people uh, in your position, uh, you, of course, grew up um, uh, 
upper class or uh, and uh, how do you get uh, the other people to kind of look at that or are they looking at people uh, the wealth and you know that whole class system are they giving back and are they doing all these amazing things like you're doing and if they're not how do you reach them yeah it's a, it's a very good question uh, Desiree and certainly India being you know such a you know, heavily populated and vast country uh, and country of just extremes and contrasts uh, makes you think about these these questions and issues. Um, I think, you know, one of the interesting things about the the Indian experience is that you'll see this clash of this brute materialism. You know, lots of showing off and fancy cars. Mm-hmm. Silks and satins and gold jewelry, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see that on one hand, you know, the, the very ostentatious <clears throat> aspect of the country, combined with uh, centuries-old <clears throat> um, sense of um, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the material realm is seen as something ephem- ephemeral and something impermanent, and more permanent notions of um, of meaning and life uh, are things within the, the soul of the being. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, you know, it's it's this this tension between these two, if you like, polarities that is very much defining of the Indian culture. So I think, in terms of giving back, one of the um, key lessons that one learns very young is that there's a kind of principle of reciprocity. You know, when you're surrounded by um, people less fortunate than oneself, and every, everyone, you know, where, wherever one is mm-hmm. in the social spectrum, can always say, oh, you know, I'm more, I should count my blessings and because, you know, there's someone less fortunate. There is an idea of, of giving to others. So uh, it's curious because in India you have a lot of household help. So you'll have, you know, someone who comes in just to sweep or clean or cook mm-hmm. or drive or whatever. And if you're fortunate enough to employ people, um, which is it's almost your duty to do it because mm-hmm. you're helping, you know, mm-hmm. give people a livelihood, then that's a way of transferring, you know, goods. Like you give clothes, you give food, you give, you know, you pay a wage. And I remember very young when, one Jim, I'm sorry, uh, Peter, I'm just going to have to interrupt one uh, moment because uh, I hear that we need to go to a commercial break, sure. but I am so intrigued by the conversation right now. We'll come right back to uh, when uh, you were a youth, okay? Can you hold that thought for me? Uh, and we shall return with Dr. Peter Rossing. Uh, he's speaking to us about the global initiatives and uh, how he has navigated this amazing uh, platform to be in the now for himself and his family. We shall return. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. 
How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks for joining us. We're speaking with Dr. Peter Rossing, and he has been, of course, enlightening us about uh, his uh, global uh, perspective and all the global initiatives that he is involved with. Uh, Peter, we were speaking, uh, I think you were just going to speak about the youth and your experience, uh, of course, giving back, and we were speaking about India and Yep. Take it away. So let me just quickly finish that anecdote, which you know, you'd asked me about uh, giving back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was a little kid, and then I, I remember being in the car with one of the people who worked for my father, and a beggar tapped on the window, and the person who worked for my dad put the window down and gave him, the beggar, money. And mm-hmm. I thought, hmm, that's really interesting, because, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, my father pays him, but he's still willing to pass, you know, his money sort of down the food chain, as it were. Right. right. The sort of principle of reciprocity and everyone, you know, has duties to sort of help each other is a kind of interesting, you know, visual cue that one constantly gets when you grow up in, in a place mm-hmm. where there's a lot of people and, you know, and... You don't throw things away. When I first came to America, I was you know, always very shocked at just how much waste. waste. Yeah. Right. So, like, Definitely. But, oh. um, yeah, and then you wanted to ask about young people, Desiree. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, first of all, just uh, that um, uh, story there about uh, the person who worked uh, uh, for your family, uh, to give back uh, to this person, that uh, ask for money. I mean, that's just you're influencing, and obviously you know this, but for our listeners, you know, that influence, I believe, uh, helps uh, all of us because I'm, sure, I'm sh- sure that made that the person feel good. But uh, I noticed, for example, that uh, there, it, there's, there was a family of four on a moped, you know, a nine-month-old baby, a, eight-year-old, uh, a grandmother, you know, everybody's on one moped. But I say that because of the fact that 
if you influence one, you're influencing possibly a whole family. So it's the give back and the reach back for our youth, you know. Uh, if they don't see any of this, I would think uh, it's, it, 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 to me, globally, it's uh, not representing uh, us living for the future because we have to always show great examples to our young people. So I'm, I'm just, I was just amazed at how people lived in the now. And, uh, yes, you, you do what you can and when you can do it. Um, Peter, uh, tell us uh, why uh, you're so very close to, uh, with the educational platform and reaching back to the youth because uh, I, I'm just <laughs> amazed at how you, you're a professor in France and you're a professor at NYU and uh, uh, at UNA NYC uh, there's also a great uh, platform for young business uh, entrepreneurs and all of that. Can, let's uh, tie in the youth with all of this because they're, it's so important moving forward. And I know in America you just spoke about uh, sometimes we can be wasteful. Uh, that's uh, maybe possibly material goods, but sometimes we are wasteful with our youth. And that's my opinion. It's nobody else's. We are wasteful with our youth in that we are obligated to help and to show them our life experiences in a positive way. And uh, if uh, you're not engaged with that, uh, I'd love to challenge you to get involved. And, Peter, can you speak more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's something I'm very passionate about, Desiree. Um, you know, young people of the future, um, engaging with them is one of the most you know, pleasurable and interesting and you know, enjoyable and uh, enriching experiences anyone can have. Uh, whether it's, you know, through um, a mentoring-type arrangement. You know, a lot of the kids at NYU I deal with actually are big brothers or big sisters to inner-city kids, or after they graduate, they go out and do Teach for America. Mm-hmm. Another kid I know has just started something called Run for America, ah! that if, you know, you get young people more engaged with politics and running for office, we won't have this horrendous situation of, uh, you know, these tired, old, hack politicians shutting yeah. down just to score political points. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my so, God. Um, so this, this guy, David, has, is starting Run for America to convince oh. our young people to run and give them a platform. Oh, to wow. Actually, uh, come oh, to I love that. I love that idea. Oh, my goodness. I'd love to yeah. have him on the show to speak more and about that. That's awesome. That's what we need. Yeah, I think, you know, it, getting the idea of wellness into the heads of young people is a very significant notion because, you know, we tend to only think we need to be concerned about wellness when we hit middle age and our bones start creaking and right. <laughs> the massage because the neck doesn't turn right or whatever. Yeah, I but think they're really wellness is a holistic too. thing that we should embrace from, you know, every day of our lives from the minute we wake up, you know, mental wellness, physical wellness. Mm-hmm. Now, the Greeks had it right when they talk about sound mind and sound body, and mm-hmm. also, you know, in Indian culture, there's the idea of yoga, which is both a mental discipline and a physical dis- discipline. Mm-hmm. So you're right on track, you know, with with your wellness initiatives. But yeah, coming back again to to the youth, um, basically, you know, they are the future, and we're very lucky in that the millennial generation, these people, you know, who are in their twenties right now. 
mm-hmm. demographically are one of the most global generations ever, uh, very concerned about the environment, yes. social causes, um, you know, wanting to connect, wanting to make a difference. Yes. Peter, I, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, yeah. you just said something so interesting. Uh, when I attended the Global Spa and Wellness Summit, I was speaking to one of the delegates, and she's American. Um, there were a few Americans that attended, and again, people came from all over the world, the presidents and CEOs of these amazing platforms. She spoke about her son uh, graduating from college but wanting to go to live in Norway. And I said, oh, because I... I, of course, was in Norway in August, and I, oh, what an amazing country. But he, uh, she said to him, well, Norway, you're leaving? You want to go uh, live in Norway? Well, I would just love to live there for a year or two because of how they live. And, you know, if we focus on our youth, or when we're focusing on our youth, as you mentioned, they're one of the most uh, – uh, amazing groups of, of, of in our communities now that's thinking and uh, getting connected uh, uh, globally. If we're focused on them, we need to really think about uh, listening to them because if her child is interested in moving to Norway or just living there for a short time, although I think that's beautiful, but we can uh, have that initiative within our own countries uh, to uh, engage our youth to find something uh, that might be enlightening here in the United States or if you live in France or Thailand. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and I'm sure when he, he comes back from Norway, Desiree, that he'll have certain you know, views about community and you know, the idea of what it means to live in a sort of uh, a more socialized environment, let's say, where people... You know, are knitted together where there's a sense of health care that you don't have to worry. Right. With your job, you're going to lose your health insurance, and then how do you, you know, go to the doctor kind of thing. Yeah, but he had already done the research. I was just amazed at that. He did the research, and he just said, well, I want to live in Norway because they seem to get everything right. You know, everybody's, uh, as you just mentioned, they're living well, the health care is taken care of, and granted, okay, that's socialized medicine. But uh, in a country like America where it's so wealthy, uh, I don't think we're focused on socialized medicine, but we should be focused on trying to keep our youth well, trying to keep our families well. And I, I was just so fascinated by the fact that uh, he told his parents, uh, well, I just want to live in Norway for a year. Remember the days when we would just uh, – yeah, people would want to backpack uh, across, uh, you know, Europe and you know, just uh, 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 give back or not give back or discover what Europe was all about. But now you have kids that want to move to these countries because they're enlightened about how they treat their citizens. Yeah, and also I think have a certain relationship towards government. Uh, unfortunately. We've come to a stage in the United States where everyone hates government and hates politicians, but you know, yeah. that's because we think of it as something dysfunctional. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, we can see lots of examples in the world where government you know, gets things right and plays a decently calibrated role within the roles of you know, lives of people. Um, not too intrusive, but you know, there is a safety net, and uh, that's probably the most desirable kind of uh, situation to be in, right, rather than... Right, 
Right. I think uh, 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 for our, our youth, uh, if uh, you just mentioned that uh, uh, there's uh, an amazing young man that just uh, he's launching a platform called Run, right? Yeah. And for America, yeah. Yeah. So for our youth, if you if you have this platform, do you think that uh, you have? Uh, there are a number of, uh, of young people out there that will run if uh, uh, the uh, platform is addressed, uh, the government platform is addressed uh, in a way where they can be receptive to running or can be receptive to our government. Because I I think what it is is also is that, you know, if uh, he's successful or when he's successful in uh, bringing so many young people together that may want to run for office, are, are we looking at changes? Uh, how do you really see that playing out? What's his I mean, obviously, you know, we know in an entrenched system, this is, you know, a pretty, you know, gutsy move to try to change things. But, you know, uh, basically, India is a great example where, you know, just Gandhi led people, you know, step by step on assault march, and all of a sudden, you know, the yoke of colonialism and uh, mm-hmm. independence emerges. But, yeah, so coming back to this Run for America idea, um, I, he's already managed to identify young people who would run if they were wow. given a platform. And, and one of his you know, key um, criteria, if you run on a Run for America platform, is you have to all live together in Washington. So you have to mm, interesting. Um, be civil and you know, treat each other, mm-hmm. even though you might you know, have, have different, differing political views. But another platform that I like a lot is Do Something, which you might know about also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, nationwide uh, platform for young people to just do something, to come up with any idea, and then they're, they're funded and you know, there's a pri- um, the narrow, the field is narrowed and the person who wins the Do Something Award gets $100,000 for their project. So I've seen right. a girl just you know, while she's traveling around Asia, suddenly get moved to help orphans in Nepal. So she's not mm-hmm. an orphanage, and then she won that year's Do Something. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's Dollar. amazing. So how can we find uh, some of uh, the platforms that you're engaged with or that you're advising uh, uh, some of the, um, I'd say, uh, I guess, uh, 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 I can't say entrepreneurs because <laughs> they're not, well, but some yeah, of mean, the global the uh, uh, citizens that you're advising right now. The idea of social entrepreneurship, which is ah. you know, the whole, you know, instead of, uh, you know, give a person a fish, teach them how to fish kind of idea. Yes. So, yeah, yes. so we, we definitely want to try to promote, you know, social entrepreneurship and, and get people involved. Doing uh, and where, where are you all uh, connected with uh, the social network uh, platform, and uh, in what way? Uh, what ways are you connected? Yeah, NYU has you know, a lot of social entrepreneurship um, uh, avenues you know, for kids to explore. That they even you know, are taught courses in social entrepreneurship. Um, and with social media, as you mentioned, this is a way of getting the message out, and you know, through crowdfunding, uh, financing. Ah you know, socially responsible ventures and things like that. So we're, we're in an exciting time with this 
intersection of technology and um, and willpower to to change and make a difference and give back and you know and uh, address some of the crises that we're facing um, globally as a, as a planet and and so on. So, uh, if you uh, had to uh, close out or send a message to our young people, our youth, uh, what message uh, would you send to them right now, Peter? Yeah, I think just you know keep up your spirits, you know, because we we have to rec- you know we we all know that the world is a lot different from you know the mm-hmm. generation before who could you know sit on their hands or try things and you know not have to make choices that young people today feel much more pressure to um, to get their act together a lot sooner but at the same time you know they've got to not get sucked into doing things that they're not passionate about or mm-hmm. very important yeah absolutely they feel they're not going to yield happiness Absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Peter. Well, we have been speaking. We've been speaking with Dr. Peter Rossing, and uh, I'll tell you, you have definitely enlightened my spirit, <laughs> and I'm sure you have uh, around the world at, at this point uh, uh, to our listeners. I would love to have you back again, uh, Peter, um, and uh, just helping us to navigate this whole global uh, platform, global initiative, and in, in how we can uh, help our youth also to uh, ad, uh, advising or just embracing some of their passion. So, uh, can, are you on Twitter, or is there uh, a platform where some of our listeners can engage with you? Because I think you have so much to give back to all of us. Yeah, everyone says I should start. A Twitter account. I've resisted it. I know, I know. It's it's okay. I will. Well, you can certainly mind. find Dr. Peter Rushing at uh, any one of the uh, amazing uh, foundations that he spoke about today. United uh, UNAC, United Nations Association of New York City. He's on the executive board, and the Lumba Lumba Trust Foundation. He's one of the trustees, and uh, you. Uh, well, you know, Google him. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks again for uh, listening, and we look forward to uh, engaging uh, next week again, Monday. And we've been speaking with Dr. Peter Rossing. Thanks so much, Peter. Thank you, Desiree. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the Wellness Lounge. Just step further. Please tune in next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another great show featuring your host, Desiree Watson. We'll continue to show you how to incorporate a wellness lifestyle and live a better life.